This morning we are under attack, under imminent threats, even if we are not aware of them. I'd like to call your attention to some of these, not all of them, from maybe the more small limited ones to the larger ones. So for instance, ticks. Yeah, the threat of Lyme disease. How many of you have ever had a tick bite? You can put your hand up, look at that. So whether you've had the disease or not, you know that it is potentially deadly, definitely dangerous. And in one sense, if you're outside, almost anywhere, imminent. That's why many of us either wait till the winter to take long walks or dress ourselves enough so that we don't have exposure. Have you heard of the spotted lantern flies? You heard of those? Just invading our area from Asia, apparently, attacking plants and vegetables and trees as we speak. And then this week, I, I read about cell phones. Did you see that story that perhaps our cell phones are emitting more radiation than they say they do, and that is allowable by law? I'm talking about dangerous radiation. I don't know if that's true or not. I try to stay as far away and as close as I can because <laughs> I'm so tied to it, but still, makes you wonder, right? And then you've got your cell phone, even if it's not emitting radiation, it's tracking you, right? Even if you turn everything off, unless you turn it off, it knows something about you and where you are. Add to that facial recognition technology from cameras that scan bodies, locate faces, put them in a database. Are we even aware that that's happening? Do we even know where it's happening? Maybe you've received a ticket through a red light camera. I won't ask for any hands here. <laughs> uh, maybe you notice on some of your software, it'll warn you where those intersections are. So, what are you talking about? I'm talking about a camera that's placed at a red light that will take a picture of your license plate if you violate the red light. Or speeding cameras and that sort of a thing. Add to that the lurking cyber criminals that are always trying to penetrate firewalls and emails that fish you out so that you can give them your identity, your social security number, your credit card number, etc. Right? And that's just individually. If we widen the circle a bit nationally, you hear threats on the news from Iran, from China, Russia. Um, sleeper cells may be in our country that are connected with these countries. Ooh, well, and then when you're not expecting it, there's the black swan event black swan that is described as an unpredictable event that's beyond what is normally expected and has potentially serious consequences. Oh. Are you afraid? Sorry. 
I mean, I am trying to do this just to show you that constantly we are under threats. Some we're aware of, some we deal with to make sure that the threats don't come true, others we don't even know about. And they might come true. It creates fear, it does. So I better stop talking about this, except to tell you one thing, that when Peter, in our series here, today's our last day looking at this letter in full, when Peter tells these Roman Christians who were living at the margins of their society as Christians, they were strangers, they were exiles, but they were also moving in love toward people Peter had one last thing to tell them as he wraps up his letter. And what he tells them about is, is the threat. It obviously has nothing to do with computers or foreign nations or radiation or passwords. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I would like you to turn with me now to our scripture, 1 Peter, the end of the letter, chapter 5. I'll be reading verse 8, and I'm going to read all the way through the chapter, although we won't cover the whole chapter. Next Lord's Day in our church family service, we'll wrap up what we didn't get to finish today. Hope you come prepared for the Lord's Supper next week. Looking forward to that. So follow me as I read the words of Scripture, God's Word. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, as does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Well, you see what the real threat is? You see who the real threat is. That's what I'd like to talk to you this morning. Uh, Peter just launches in here and identifies the real enemy of our souls. He's called the devil. I'd like to just pause for a moment and say, let's, let's make sure we're all on the same page from the Bible here because when you hear the word devil, well, I don't know, you may think of some sort of cartoon with a crazy-looking character, Halloween, or I don't know what you think of, but let's, let's come back to 
the biblical information because we, if, we're, if the Bible says your real enemy is the devil, we better know something about him. I think one place to really start and help us is another scripture from the book of Revelation chapter 12 where John receives a vision of the whole story of redemption. And in the middle of the story, the devil is described <clears throat> excuse me, as a dragon. This is what he says. Now have come the, oh, I'm sorry, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent. Now let's pause here. The ancient serpent. Ah, if you know your Bible, that takes you back to the beginning of the Bible. The serpent, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. The Bible identifies that struggle then as the primordial one, the one that began it all way back in human history at the very first day when humans lived and were created, day six, then day seven, then the enemy comes. You see how human existence is always marked by this kind of conflict or struggle? And we know that. And I'm not, I don't mean just like, oh, yeah, it was a struggle to get here this morning. And you should have heard what I said, well, you know, or whatever it might be. I'm just talking about normal life. We kind of like that. Uh, think of sports. What's your favorite sport? Think about it. When you watch it or participate in it, isn't it usually in a sense of competition, conflict? Like, there's the goal, and there's two teams that are trying to get to the same goal. We'll do it one way, you'll do it some other way, and either I'm participating or I'm watching, cheering on, oh, the, the, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat, right? Isn't that, that's all part of it. You can all think of our local teams here. Uh, I guess the Eagles have the one that's seared in most of our memories, but right from the ping pong game you played last week, that. Or uh, just this past, a few nights ago, I was playing uh, Monopoly with my grandson. Actually, it was called Philiopoly, because I guess they brand Monopoly with different right, themes. And as I look back on that, I think, wow, we, we just spent an hour going around throwing dice, that's chance, but also strategizing, do you want to buy that? Do you want to, you want to buy that? Uh, should I, shouldn't I? What kept our attention? Well, the goal, which I guess is getting the most money in hotels and all that, right? I want to be the richest one at the end of the game, which we never finished, of course. But I'm going to do it my way, you do it your way. That keeps our attention. In other words, we didn't just sit around saying, well, let's, let's talk about houses and buildings, and let's just roll dice for the fun of it, and no, put me in, and I'll go somewhere. That's built, in, that's built into the fabric of Scripture in the narrative of redemption. It's built into our fabric as well as human beings. And the devil is right there. He is the serpent that was tempting Adam and Eve. What was he doing? He was saying, my way, not God's way. The second word, 
you see it there, the devil, or Satan. So when John is seeing this, he's explaining what he's seeing. The dragon is really the serpent. He's really the devil. He's really Satan. Well, which one is he? It's all the same. Easy way to remember this. The word Satan is a Hebrew word, shatan. That's the Old Testament language. When they translated that into the Greek language of the New Testament, it came over as diabolos, devil, like we get the word diabolical, right? But they mean the same thing. Satan and devil mean opponent, adversary, enemy. It's a title, not a personal name. And then John says that what he does is lead the whole world astray. That assumes that God leads the whole world, or at least wants to lead the whole world, not astray to his new heaven, new earth. We just sang it. Is the whole creation groaning? It is. But is the new creation coming? It is. But not everybody will be in the new creation. This is the testing ground where Satan and God are in this runoff for people's loyalty to the path of the new creation. And then right down the bottom of this passage where it says, the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down from heaven. The accuser. That's one way that Satan likes to mess up the lives of those who are part of God's family. Accusing. You ever like to be accused of? Of course not. I mean, if I said to you after the service, oh, hi, how are you? Oh, by the way, I heard from so-and-so this about you. Now, suppose it was just made up to smear you. Wouldn't you feel like I had just punched you, you know, or thrown mud all over you? Or, yeah, what? to tear someone down verbally with an accusation, that is from the devil. He's an accuser. In the rest of the New Testament, if we were to look in other passages, he's got other names that he goes by. Not just accuser, but prince of this world, god of this age, liar and father of liars, deceiver, murderer, destroyer. Now, that's just a brief Satanology, if you will. This is who our enemy is. Well, what's he up to? If, if, if John, let's take a look at this, pat, no, sorry, if Peter is saying, your enemy, be watchful, know him, well, what's he doing? Well, Peter's best way is to say he's like an animal, and he's not like a little cat or a nice little puppy. 
He's like a raging lion who's hungry and he's looking for lunch. He's not after your hand to lick it or, you know, some other way to impress you. He doesn't care about you. He wants to use you and devour you. You hear that kind of strategic language? This threat, then, is not minimal, like a tick bite might be or a computer virus might be. I'm not trying to minimize that, but this is more like a deadly bullet aimed for your heart or a cancer that is uncurable. The hungry lion prowling for Christians. Yeah, we better be on the alert. You know, Spurgeon said, consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. Now, Peter, who wrote this, experienced this. You remember? You remember anything about his life where Satan was involved? Let me take you to two examples of this. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus was teaching these men about what was coming in his future. And at one time in Matthew 16, he said, I've got to go to Jerusalem to die and to rise again. And it says in Matthew 16, verse 22, that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me. What's the next word? Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Well, if you read Matthew 16, the paragraph before it is where Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And Peter steps up and says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, you... You got it. That's what the Father revealed to you. That's who I am. And now he calls Peter Satan? What's, it's not that he was somehow indwelled by Satan or something. It's that Peter's words were reflecting the agenda of the enemy. Which was what? Which was a crossless life. You want to have a religion, and there's plenty of them, where there's no sin mentioned, no death mentioned, no atonement mentioned. Just be a better person. You can do it. Yes, we can all do it together. Yes, God will be pleased. He will. And that God is the devil. That's the angel of light. So when you speak without talking about the cross of Jesus, the blood that forgives sin, the empty tomb that we've sung about this morning, you're actually on the wrong team. Get behind me, Satan. Boy, how many times have we said or acted like we're really playing for the enemy? Second example. You know at the end of Jesus' life where Peter was, right? He's warming his hands by the fire. 
He starts talking. They recognize his accent from an out-of-town guy. And three times, he denies that he is associated with Jesus at all. Remember that? Well, you know what happened before that? Luke chapter 22, verse um, 31 says that Jesus talked to him and said this, Simon, that's his first name, Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you disciples here as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Wow. Jesus actually let Peter in on that heavenly counsel that goes on. You know, like in the book of Job? Remember what it says there? The devil talked to God and said, Hey, God, this guy Job down on planet Earth, he, and then you fill in the rest of the book of Job. Jesus says, Peter, Satan wanted permission to mess up your life, to bring pressure in you, to sift you like wheat. You know what that means? Most of us people, we're city slickers, not farmers. We get our wheat at the grocery store in bags, not, not fresh off the farm. But wheat comes kind of like corn on the cob. You know, you like corn on the cob? You have to take the husk off first. Same thing with a wheat kernel. You have to take that off. And in order to take it off in the ancient world, they had to smack it over and over again, break the husk, and the little kernel in the middle came out. And some of us are getting smacked around like Peter. And we say, what is this all about? And Jesus whispers to us like he did to Peter, I have prayed for you. You may be experiencing the fingers of Satan, but you're in the hand of God. And if the accuser who accuses the brothers and sisters, remember Revelation, if you ever accuse yourself, have you ever done that? I'm not a Christian. Look how I messed up. I'm not a Christian. You know, I got some questions here that I just don't have answers for. How can, how could, and we sang a little bit ago, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinless soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's the gospel. I don't go back and say, yes, I am worthy. I can do it. Because I'm not and I can't. But he did and he will. And that's the blessed power of what Peter will say here next when he says, be alert, be sober-minded, and resist the devil. Resist. You've got to push back when he pushes in. 
which means that you and I have to have an engagement, not just an awareness of this, which I'm trying to raise here, but being able to go to war against our enemy. That's the language here. And how do you do it? You don't do it by studying demonology and looking for a demon to cast out. You do it, he says, by standing firm in your faith. So, are you? Are you fueling your faith, your belief? We are starting off, as you know, our, our church year, so to speak, right in September, and we've got various groups that meet, that help to fuel faith. Like, I picked up the tapestry women's ministry brochure. There's eight different classes, groups that meet. All sorts of topics ranging from this to that that might help you build your faith. We've got men's groups. There's a men, uh, four, actually. We've just added another one, meeting on Sunday morning. A men's group where we meet together and talk about Scripture and talk about our lives and the difference the gospel makes. You've heard about our CBT, our Adult Bible Institute, the Center for Biblical Transformation. If you're interested in that, on Tuesday nights, there's a little flyer like this out back. We're going through the whole Old Testament, or we're going through doctrines called living theology. There are community groups that meet, some here at church, some in their homes, and that's another opportunity for people to meet in the scriptures and meet with each other to talk about things. Your faith being fueled? Are you growing? Because if you're not leaning in to resisting Satan, he's going to roll over you and sift your life like wheat. You know, obviously, Satan uses the occult, witchcraft, could I even say science fiction that glamorizes the demonic? I want to say that's obvious. But what's not so obvious is the way Satan's attacks could range from outright persecution, like remember Alfred Mooley two weeks ago talked about that over in the Middle East? to what we heard last week from Pastor John Shepherd about the importance of humility instead of pride, submitting ourselves to God. So any sin we commit is an opportunity for the devil to get in the door. Whether that sin is jealousy or gossip or lust or falsely accusing someone else. Four hundred years ago, a man named Thomas Brooks was a Puritan in England, and he wrote a little book called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. I love that title. And it's a way of, of saying that Christians have always been thinking about this. If the devil is trying to get in and attack us, well, he's not using anything new. He's been at this with a lot of practice for thousands of years. Shouldn't we borrow the thoughts and the skills of other Christians through the years as well? So he's got this list of about 
10 things that we need to remember. Listen to the very first one, simple sentence. Satan's first device is to draw the soul, Satan's first device to draw the soul to sin is to present the bait and hide the hook. Oh, yeah, that's, that's clever. You think about that. And then, if you uh, have ever heard of C.S. Lewis' book called The Screwtape Letters, now that's kind of a strange name. Well, the book is about a, uh, it's a fictional account of a demon talking to another demon about how to tempt someone. And the man's, uh, sorry, the demon's name is Screwtape, and he's writing to his nephew, uh, wormwood. And these are made-up letters, but they're so profound. It's like you're listening in to a conversation between one demon and the other. Here's a, a few sentences just to give you a flavor here. He says, never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are in a sense on the enemy's ground. He means God, God's ground. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is encourage the humans to take the pleasures for which our enemy, God, has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. Hence, we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that in which it is least natural, least suggestive of its maker, and least pleasurable. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. To get the man's soul and give him nothing in return, that is what really gladdens our Father's Satan, which is another way of saying, dear friends, that every second of every day, we have a choice to make that's either Satan's path or God's path in everything we do. So if we go back to 1 Peter, he says, you know, you may think you're, you may think you're in this all alone, but you're not. This happens all over the world to the family of believers. This is nothing new. This is part of the sufferings of Jesus. Well, misery does love a company, doesn't it? So it's good to know that you're not alone when you struggle because we all struggle in different ways at different times, but we're all dealing with the same enemy. Now, you'll just have to come back next week or listen in because the rest of the letter gives us the other point, which I didn't get to today. I'm so sorry. But can I just whet your appetite? It sounds like I've said, hey, there's an enemy out there, and you better get ready, and you better fight him. And if that's all you hear, then please listen up now because... Peter says, 
You better fight them, but you're not fighting alone. The God of all grace who called you is going to equip you and perfect you in the final day. That's the hope. That's the strength that we have. This God who calls us is not like the devil who roars at us to make us fear. He's the God who calls us to be his own son or daughter because he loves us. He's not like the devil who's ready to devour us. This God is the one who's going to make us flourish in his kingdom. This God who will restore and make us strong, firm, and steadfast, that's the kind of promise that we know. Can you imagine playing in a game where you knew for sure the game was wired so that you would win it? And you, there's one of two options you could take there. You could either sit back and watch it happen, or you could enjoy the game knowing that you know the outcome is sure. And that's what God has done for us in his word. You know, the Bible describes the devil as a roaring lion. But there's another lion in the New Testament. We sang about him. This is the one who, in the book of Revelation, it says in chapter five, uh, 12, see the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is really Revelation chapter 5. The lion has overcome. Don't weep. Why? Because he's the lamb who's been slain. If you today have a life that's suffering, a lot of questions, I invite you to look to Jesus alone as the conquering lamb who died for you and the lion who lives for you as your king. So, Lord, that's my prayer. In my prayer for me this week as I've prepared to know the lion's roar is but to create fear, but to know the Savior's presence is to create love and holiness. Lord, give us a resolve to know you more, to walk more closely with you, to build our faith because we will see you one day face to face. In the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.